Welcome to Centering, the podcast on Asian American Christianity. I'm your host, Irene Cho. This season, we're featuring guests with various perspectives on Asian American topics and the church. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to Centering from the Asian American Center at Fuller Theological Seminary. I'm your host, Irene Cho. Today, we are embarking on a very light topic on toxic masculinity and women leadership in Asian American churches. My guest today is the phenomenal Ruby Varghese, who is a pastor at West Church up in Seattle, and I'm so excited to be talking and dissecting this issue um, that so relates and impacts us as church leaders, as pastors, as congregants, and those of us who are involved in doing ministry in some way, shape, or form. So welcome, Ruby. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Um, Okay, so we don't have a lot of time, so I just want to dive straight in. We have another episode in which we're going to talk and cover on church two issues specifically, but for the conversation between you and I, I really wanted to dive into the the benefits and overall of what it looks like to have women in ministry, to have women in pastoral leadership um, and pastoral roles in the church. And I know a lot of our sisters and brothers out there listening may be embarking on this journey of what it looks like to expand. And one of the things even for me in my own particular experience has been where I was the first female speaker at a youth camp that I was at um, serving at, or I went to speak at at Texas. And the youth leader, after I was done, came, when I came down from the pulpit, he said he was so apologetic and repentant because he realized how much his congregation and his youth kids had been missing out. And I looked at him and I said, why do you think that, you know, why are you saying that? What was the insight? And he said that the passage that I had been, you know, expounding on, like he said, the illustrations you gave would never even have entered into my mind as a man. And I just realized how much I was not giving a holistic picture of who God was. And so that was really one of the largest things for me to start, even for myself, as I was thinking, what is the value that I bring as a woman leader, as a woman pastor? What, why did God create me to be a woman if he wanted me to be, you know, calling me into ministry? So these are just kind of some of the issues that I wanted to really get from you and your life experience. So let's start with your story, how you got here into this space of being in Quest, what it's been like in the journey. So yeah, please share with us a bit of your story. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. I um, really sensed my call into ministry when I was a teenager. Um, The youth ministry that I grew up in was such a formational time for me. And I just really felt that my youth pastor really walked alongside me through those years and especially encouraged leadership and just allowing me to use my voice in my youth ministry. But I also attended a a church that was very complementarian. And so I never heard about women who could be leaders. I was always told they could be missionaries or teachers or counselors, but there was never any mention of a woman as a pastor. And so as I pursued my education, I 
I looked at psychology. I taught special ed for a period of time, but God kept leading me back into the church. And the journey had not been easy for me as I, I served in many places that were not fully affirming of me until I stepped into the Evangelical Covenant Church and have really sensed my, my call as a pastor and then affirmed my leadership. And especially in this past year as I've served at Quest Church, getting to serve alongside some phenomenal women pastors has just been so life-giving to me and just a deeper sense of my call as, as a pastor and just the, the sense of responsibility and ownership as I'm a model to so many other women who are on this journey along with me. I love it. I mean, all of us who are women, we kind of, we end up sharing this thread together of what that looked like. And I, luckily as well, my small church, we had a youth leader who was a woman, but she wasn't considered the quote unquote pastor of the group. We also had to name her something else. I recently spoke in another church and they continually want me to come back, but they cannot call me Pastor Irene. They have to call me Evangelist Irene. Mm. <laughs> I <Yeah>. love it. <laughs> it's hilarious. And I know of another church as well where they removed their elder board because they wanted women to be on their elder board, but they couldn't call it an elder board. And so they shifted the name to being leadership or something other, I forget what it was, in order to be able to surpass and bypass, you know, this interesting rule that has been established. So how did you as a young woman know that your calling was to be in ministry? How did you know that it wasn't just to be in special ed? It wasn't just to be in youth ministry, but that your calling from the Lord was to be a pastor. Yeah, well, I remember many nights just praying to God that I, I never wanted to, to go into <laughs> ministry and had been in some really tough places where I began that journey and just felt really silenced and the doors were being shut. And so I swore before God and I realized I should never do that because he kept putting me into ministry places where he's calling me to serve. And through that, I think just the affirmation of leaders around me that I saw within me gifts and desires for becoming a pastor. And I also just, I know even in the Asian American community, I, I come from a South Indian background and the idea of women pastors was a no-no. And so to even have the Indian community speaking words of affirmation and seeing those gifts in me were a huge reason why I'm here today. Oh, I love it so much. Community and support is so important. I had a strong mom who was always very, very affirming and as well, like lots of community and words of encouragement and edification around me. One of the things though, is that we do, as we begin to journey, we're like, okay, so God's got me like this is where I'm supposed to be and you're all excited. And then you hit the barricades and you hit the walls. I worked for a gentleman who, as my supervisor, would continually argue with me weekly how women shouldn't be ordained. One of the arguments he gave was it galling because women have menstrual cycles and it prevents them from, you know, 
being completely available and accessible. I mean, it's ridiculous. We function completely. So, you know, but he would, he said that to our face, me and my other female colleague, and you continually, you're bombarded all the time in which, you know, your silence, like you said, sidelined. I worked for an organization and it took for seven years, I rewrote the curriculum that was submitted in. But yet as I wrote all the material, I still wasn't allowed to speak on stage. My colleagues at seminary, it was like, this is Pastor Bob, this is Pastor Joe, this is Pastor David. And if my presence was acknowledged, if, then it was, oh, and this is Irene. (laughs) There's just so much of that that happens. So how do you continue to pursue and not get bitter or angry? Or how do you push past that and forgive and know and lean into that, again, conviction that this is where God has you? Well, I think so much for me, I never heard a a good biblical breakdown of women and leadership and scripture. It was never talked about growing up. And, and so, you know, as a young kid who was told to respect and honor the adults of the church, everything they said to me was the gospel truth. And as I was sensing this call and was wrestling with like, God, are you really calling me to full-time ministry? Even though I've never heard this before, I had to do the work of digging into scripture and figuring out who does God say that I am? He's called me to be the Imago Dei. And so what does that mean for me to live that out as, as a minister? There are some really challenging and difficult days even now. (laughs) And So I really lean heavily on my sisters in Christ, our our pastors here at Quest have been so encouraging and just getting to share each other's journeys and to be praying for each other. But I also have been so encouraged by many of my, my brothers in Christ who are pastors who affirm and encourage and speak truth about women in leadership from the pulpit and in their circles of friends. And that has been so encouraging to see and to hear. Um, it gives me hope. But I also remember as a young girl looking around and never seeing strong models of leadership who are women. Mm -hmm. And that drives me as well, especially for Asian American women that growing up, I never had those models. And so there's, there again, is this responsibility and a privilege Mm -hmm. and being in the position that I'm at, that I can be a model and, and be an example to young women so that they know that they can too be pastors and leaders in the church. And even being a model for men, right? And yeah. for your boys mm-hmm. to show, I mean, there was so much of that as a youth leader in which, again, this church in Texas, they were from Texas, right? And so being the first woman, I don't think I had ever experienced such emotional resistance as I did with that high school youth group. There were mm-hmm. 60% of the boy, of the makeup was boys. And when I got up on that stage, I, I could viscerally feel it that they were standing, they're sitting there and saying, 
yeah, what are you going to bring? And it was, it was crazy. And so by the end of it, there was so much embracing, so much conviction had happened that being the Holy Spirit came and all of the boys were like best speaker we'd ever had, you know, like Mm. all of these things. And so to be able to model to young men and to men that women are powerful, women bring the word that the Holy Spirit completely speaks through us is is so healthy for them. And we talk about this in the whole concept of toxic, toxic masculinity in the church and the detriments of complementarianism and not to bash all of complementarianism, but the element of the fact that you are you are depriving people from a beautiful holistic picture of who God is and how the word can be brought and the way the Holy Spirit works. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's pretty, it's been pretty exciting for me working with my students to just kind of talk about like life after high school and as they're exploring new churches closer to where they're going to schools. You know, I talk about the realities that not all churches affirm women in leadership and they're like, what? (laughs) And so for that to be the new norm for them and for them to be asking those questions of why not, you know, why would churches not affirm women as pastors? It's just so brand new for me to hear. And it, it just brings such joy to, to know that I can too be a model for, for these young men. Absolutely. I love, I love all of that, but it's so, it's so powerful to speak into how we can as leaders, as women really expand the mindset of the people who we're ministering to. And as we embark on this idea of toxic masculinity, even for me as the first woman speaker in this group of young men, there, there was an element of pressure that I felt upon me that I feel that sometimes we as society put on women to be more masculine because that's the standard. And even the other day watching Captain Marvel, there were critiques in my mind that I had to, as I was watching the movie question, how much of my critique is because I'm so used to subconsciously having a bias to male-centric humor versus a storyline that features a woman and therefore the comedic timing, the storylines, the dialogue would be very different. And I remember one time a, a person gave a shared a story about how her son was embarking on this huge new journey of life because it was his first shave. And I remember thinking, would we ever share on stage as women an example of a girl, a young girl experiencing her first menstrual cycle? There, there are things about women issues and Eugene addressed this a few years ago on the standards of women. You can't be too pretty. You can't wear short skirts. You have to wear skirts. You don't wear tight skirts though. You can't do this. You can't like all the, the things that we lay on women to limit their pastoral role and and question whether or not they're able to, you know, how do you as a woman serving get 
overcome that? How do you experience where, what does it mean that you as a woman lean into your femininity that you don't try to deepen your voice or masculinize your actions and your hand gestures? Thinking about, I love that Kathy Kang is so clear to wear a dress on stage to subvert the idea that a, a speaker ought to wear pants, you know? And so how do you as a, as a pastor, as a female pastor in particular, power through that and overcome it? Well, I, I know that just talking about it within my circles of pastors and other women leaders to normalize some of those conversations. For so many years, I thought I was the only one <laughs> who was feeling sexualized as a pastor, where one of like the first responses from men after preaching was, oh, you look so pretty today, or um, using the term honey instead of pastor, um, mm -hmm. or even for women, sometimes commenting on how you look versus what you're speaking about. And it took me a long time to really find my voice as a pastor and overcome these these comments, because they come all the time. But being confident in the ways that God has called me to be, the way he's called me to look, and the ways that he's called me, even in my inflection and my voice, I have a pretty high-pitched voice. And so people think it's cute, you know, and, and sweet. And being confident, knowing that um, God has given me the power and the privilege to speak and to have that at the forefront of what I do versus being insecure about what people might say or think about, you know, my image or the ways I look. Yeah, I love it. And it's, it's so, it, it, I feel that it's a journey. I had shared on a, on a panel before on the whole, what is female empowerment, female strength look like? And I'm <clears throat> older, right? And <laughs> having gone through a lot of female leadership from the early 90s, where it was very very much like we're going to take control of our sexuality. We're going to take ownership of it. We are going to be sexual and be very sensual, but it's going to be on our terms. And then the other side of that being, we're going to be very masculine, like Demi Moore and G.I. Jane, where she can be a Navy SEAL and be as good as a man and do everything that a man can do. And then seeing that shift, and one of the things with Wonder Woman that I loved so much was that she was a strong, feminine woman. Like she wasn't overly sexual, but she wasn't hiding her sexuality as well. And the, the thing with Wonder Woman that I felt was a growing process was the intersection between that. It wasn't an opposing view. It felt yeah. more intersectional in that. So I loved that so much. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would want to ask, so if there are pastors out there who are wanting to embrace and invite more women leaders and more women pastors into their teams, what advice would you give for how to go about doing that. Because I, I think a lot of men and a lot of pastor teams have tried to invite women and the system doesn't get set up correctly and there's not support. Or like you said, 
they believe what they're doing is right because they're inviting you. And yet the mental model and the idea and the concepts behind it where they haven't done the homework of understanding why calling me honey is not respectful. So what would be one first step advice? Then what do you do after that? What would be some things that you've seen in the leadership of Quest and other churches that have been successful in bringing in women onto the team? Yeah, I think for churches that are looking to hire on a woman pastor for maybe the first time ever, I think they need to do the work and having conversations with other maybe congregations that um, have women on staff to learn from them about what does it mean to on-ramp staff onto your team and to honor and affirm women, whether they're single or married, if they've come from a divorce background, whatever their circumstances is. I think it's important that as churches that you become learners, that both, you know, there's a high commitment to diversifying your team. It's one thing to say, you know, we want someone on our team as this token, but it's another Thing to fully live into what it means to truly honor and respect one another. Mm-hmm. Does that woman have power to make decisions? Is there space for women to use their voices to speak up? And how is leadership decisions being made within the church? So I think both for the church and the staff as they're making that decision to become learners, to do their research, but also for any woman that's coming on board to making sure that they're asking some good, firm questions of what it would mean to be a part of a staff like that. So what advice would you give to our women pastors who are listening in on this and our women leaders on surviving and being able to succeed in a church environment that may not fully have the systems built in, that they're in an environment or church team that is trying and taking some first steps, but aren't quite fully there yet. What advice would you give for self-care, for having awareness? What is it? What's the timing look like to build to leave? What advice would you give to build relationship when there seem to be so many barriers or obstacles in getting a relationship with a leadership team? What advice would you give? Um, I would say uh, one of the things that has been super helpful for me is finding a group of women pastors to call friends and colleagues. I have a group that I meet with pretty regularly. They're pastors from all over the country, but we uh, regularly meet up, whether it's online or in person, to pray together, to lament, and to cry about things that are happening in ministry, but also to celebrate the victories. And so um, having a group of colleagues that I can walk this road with, I've also been a part of multiple cohorts of women from all across the country. And especially for me, it's been important to find women of color because My journey is very distinct in that way as well. And so to find other Asian leaders that are walking this road is important because there's different things that we experience and 
it's important to have space there. I also think regular routines of self-care and Sabbath are so important. Ministry can be tiring in general, but especially for a woman who is paving the path. <laughs> and um, in a lot of circumstances, walking this road alone, um, having spaces where you can be just pouring into yourself. I also know that for a long time, a lot of the like theologians and authors that I, were, I was reading were white males. Mm-hmm. And so growing and learning from women of color, people of all different backgrounds has been really helpful and life-giving to me in ministry. And just the ways that I lead and I speak about scripture, that has been really important to me. Also, just being a part of conferences where this dialogue is continuing, where a lot of times it stops within the church. And so finding spaces where people are actively engaged in conversation. That's good. That's really good. So much of my journey of that has, because it's been so painful, it was a lot of processing and forgiving and then meeting men who were supportive. It wasn't even just being around women because we need each other on that end. But, you know, sometimes that it could feel like an angry women's club because we're providing therapy with one another. But a lot of times as well, it was coming into fellowship with men who believed in women leadership, right? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I definitely think there are spaces and conferences and leadership arenas that do support. And the other thing, especially as a young leader, I think I was so confirmed in my calling that when I ended up meeting the animosity and the obstacles and the opposition, it was disconcerting and shocking because I just didn't get it. Like, why would you limit me? Why are you limiting me? (laughs) Why are you limiting God? And so there's there is a mode of anger to that in which I, I cannot fathom telling a human being what they are unallowed to do when God is saying, I'm fully giving you the green light. And so the, I, the disappointment from the idealistic view that anybody can do this because God calls them to and be like, oh, but you know, little small writing, small print, unless you have boobs and a vagina, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's it's like, wait, there was small print involved because God didn't show me that small print when I signed this commitment contract to him. Um, So it's really like, how do we help even young women be aware that these issues, it's going to be a really hard uphill journey. Would you say in any way, shape or form that there were benefits to a complementarian model and how, if, if a church is needing or wanting to stay in that, like in what ways can women be supportive and in what ways can we allow women in those models to fulfill their leadership call, to fulfill their pastoral call and not just be the children's pastor, but in actuality do the full calling of leading and speaking and preaching. Mm -hmm. Is that even possible? 
Uh, <laughs> and when we talk about the fullness, I don't know if that is possible. Um, <laughs> you know, but I think that there are ways, there are steps in which, you know, under the complementarian model that you can help women lead into their giftedness. And I think often what I see within the church is that there's very stereotypical roles that women lead, you know, children's ministry or nursery or helping with hospitality. And I'm realizing women are so much more. And there are so many ways that women can be serving and leading within the church. And, you know, just a challenge out there um, to be exploring that as individuals within the church, you know, what are best ways to be serving within your giftedness and calling? Yeah, I love it. Uh, Yeah. And I I think too, I I just want to challenge, I mean, because women, we also have our own hangups. I I used to not believe in women ordination as well, right? Even Mm -hmm. though I, it was a weird disconnection, a cognitive dissonance for me of, I believe in strong women, yet the church can only be led by a man. And then I would bypass that and say, okay, well then real church leadership should be team ministry, right? And and I had to do the difficult work of untangling that and dismantling my own patriarchy, you know, and the misogyny within myself of what that meant, even in the midst of my conviction. And so I think all of us as leaders and all of us as believers in Jesus, who was the most affirming voice and the most affirming figure in which it's just so subversive, the way Jesus modeled his affirmation of women and their voice and their value in ways that today we kind of assume or think that that's a given. And yet in that day and age, it was sacrilegious, right? Mm -hmm. Um, To even name a woman in the gospels is craziness. And so I would just challenge all of our listeners that, you know, some of you may they may just be starting on this journey of what does it mean that we ought to have women leaders, that we ought to have, hear from women. How do we start doing the dismantling? And I would say it begins with self-awareness and, yeah. and asking, like, again, I had to go through the process while watching a movie, like go through the process while reading a book, when you're watching a television show of evaluating what's going on internally within me, what's going on in my mind of my resistance to this. Is my resistance to this because this is truly what I believe or is this resistance because this is what I was told to believe? Resistance because of conviction or is this resistance because I've been duped by society. So I would definitely say a first step would be that. And to, like you said, Ruby, ask questions and have conversations with one another. And just to not limit God by, and not, and by limiting God, then not providing the fullness of the teachings and preaching and, and, and the ministering and all of what can be available, what God has provided through the entire fullness of the congregation, right? Yeah. So, any last thoughts? No, I, you know, I would just continue, like you said, being a learner is so important. And 
uh, re-educating yourself, you know, as, as you go through ministry, it's so important. But also, who are you surrounding yourself with? Community, you know, finding people that want to have a conversation and dialogue, but are also walking this road with you. Having those spaces of affirmation and places to lament are so, so important. And I especially have appreciated just having men in my life that are walking this road with me, that are asking those hard questions, being bold and being honest and vulnerable about their blind spots and their willingness to engage in conversation, but also so thankful for the men who stand boldly and affirm me. And my leadership has been so great. It's such a great example in the church. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. For all our listeners, please make sure to look in the show notes to follow Ruby and to friend her on Facebook and all the ways her posts are so amazing and to follow up and ask her any questions that you have about women in leadership. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to stay tuned for next week here on Centering. We're all about community at Centering. We invite you to join the conversation by sending your comments and questions at centeringpodcast at gmail.com. Also, be sure to visit our website at centered.today for a list of other shows and resources. This episode is produced by Jason Chu, edited by Carl Catedral with music by Mark Redito. I'm your host, Irene Cho. And above all else, we want to remind you that God embraces all of who you are.